0: Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from CuriousCast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best, Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. Two Canadian teenagers on the run charged with murder. Could they survive and evade capture in the Canadian wilderness? I'm Nikki Wright-Meyer, and this is Why...
1: Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin with two disturbing cases playing out in northern BC. One involves a young tourist couple found dead on a remote stretch of highway. The other two teenagers gone missing, their vehicle lit on fire and a body found nearby. Police say complex investigations are underway, but it's possible the two cases are connected. They're appealing to the public for information and they're urging people in the region to be safe.
0: On June 15th, two bodies are discovered in rural northern BC. What happened to 24-year-old China Dees and 23-year-old Lucas Fowler, both experienced travelers? Dees and Fowler were shot near their van. It's believed the van had broken down. Four days later, the RCMP announced another body has been found, and two teenagers are missing. Now a mystery unfolding in northern B.C., RCMP are looking for two missing teens linked to an abandoned vehicle in the same area where a body was found. The media and the public start to speculate. Is there a serial killer on the loose? The third victim found has now been identified as Leonard Dick. July 21st, the two missing teens are identified as 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski.
1: Investigators have also been able to confirm that Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski have left British Columbia.
0: The two missing teens are spotted in Cold Lake, Alberta, then Saskatchewan.
1: We believe that they're likely continuing to travel. Given these latest developments, Cam and Briar are no longer considered missing.
0: They're alive, but relief quickly turns to suspicion.
1: The RCMP are now considering Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski as suspects in the Dee's Lake suspicious death and the double homicide of Lucas Fowler and Chyna Dees.
0: The boys are named as official suspects in the three deaths. Eventually, they'll also be charged with second degree murder in the death of Leonard Dick, the man whose body was found near a burned out truck the father of Briar Schmigelski spoke out to the media. But initially, it looked like they were victims as well, right? Initially. And, and it's, it's really
1: tough for me to see in the paper today photos of them alive and well in Saskatchewan. So I know they're not lost in the woods. That's, 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 that's incredibly hard to deal with. A normal child doesn't travel across the country. Killing people. A child in some very serious pain does. Mounties, we're going to shoot first and ask questions later. Basically, he's going to be dead today or tomorrow.
0: I I know that. (laughs) I would say. Rest in peace, I love you. I'm so sorry all this had to happen. I'm so sorry that I couldn't rescue you. Gillam, Manitoba, now the epicenter of a nationwide manhunt for two B.C. teenaged murder suspects on the run. July 24th, the boys continue to drive east. Their burned out vehicle is found in Gillam, Manitoba. We are also reminding everyone that these suspects should not be approached. And if you do see them, to call 911. Gillam becomes ground zero in the manhunt. By the end of July, despite multiple sightings, Cam and Breyer remain at large. This is a very large area that we're looking at, as I said before, it's very remote. I can't say it's terribly surprising because it's just a very tough place to find somebody who doesn't want to be found. July 31st, the RCMP announced they will be scaling back the manhunt. To be clear, we are not ending this search. A number of tactical resources and specialized assets will remain in, positioned in the Gillam area and will continue the efforts to locate the murder suspects. So, what exactly does it take to survive in the Canadian wilderness? And to not just survive, but survive well, to evade capture and stay one step ahead of authorities? Well, few people know what it takes better than Les Stroud. He has his own survival podcast and is writing a children's book about survival. And of course, you probably know him from TV as well. He's the star of a show called Survivor Man. In the show, Les sets off into the wilderness completely, 100% alone. No first aid staff, no producers, no director, not even any camera crew. He does all the filming himself. So I caught up with Les over Skype. You obviously have a wealth of experience surviving in the Canadian wilderness based on the knowledge that you've gained over the years What does it take to make it in the wilderness of Manitoba?
1: Yeah, it it completely depends upon a number of variables. What is your skill experience? What kit do you have with you? What's your purpose for being there? In this case, I have heard you know, the the parents, there's anecdotal references to the fact that, oh, well, they're hunters and they hunt together so they know the woods really well. What does that really mean? Do they go out twice a year for moose? Do they go out three times a year for fish and that's it? It's a big difference between being really highly skilled and not being skilled. And so the same thing with what do they have with them? You know, you want me to talk about the terrain and that, you know, the bugs can be absolutely ferocious, but not if you have a bug jacket. The um, water is very difficult to get past in many situations, but not if you've got canoes stashed and boats stashed and you know where you can go and utilize the waterways that way. You know, that sort of thing. The terrain that we're looking at, by the way, is if people have in their heads a place like Algonquin Park, Ontario, or the west coast of Canada, Big bush and thick, and it's not like that. It's more scrub brush. It's uh, there are still plenty of trees, but it's subarctic, so there's also lots of open patches with rocks and moss and such.
0: It sounds like a person would need quite a bit of equipment and skill to survive, or at least survive well in that terrain. And we don't have any indication that these guys have the type of supplies that you've been describing or the experience.
1: Well, and let's keep reminding ourselves of the fact that this is a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old. Is this a big accident gone wrong and they're running scared, uh, resorting to what they know, which is being out in the woods because they hunt and fish? Or is this a premeditated situation and there's calculation and skill involved? But again, they're 19 and 18. It, it, it feels like they're acting out some sort of big Hunger Games kind of thing from watching too many movies and seeing too much online. It's kind of a scary proposition.
0: Yeah, it is. And we don't know when this manhunt is going to end. It could be today. It could be tomorrow, next month. It could be never. But right now, it's the summertime and the weather is definitely on their side. But the Canadian wilderness is even more harsh and more dangerous come the wintertime. If this manhunt continues how much longer do these kids have before the weather starts to turn and survival becomes even more complicated?
1: Well, and that's just, uh, that's a great way of posing the question because the other reality is here is search and rescue is not for a lost person. It's not the same as a manhunt in a search and rescue. Every minute that goes by is it gets harder and harder to find somebody who's lost in a manhunt. Uh, that can be the case, but it can also be the case that as every day goes by, they throw up more clues. They get spotted once too often. They leave something behind. Uh, It is incredible what the law enforcement agencies can find in the woods when people are on the run. I mean, I'm talking about a button that falls off of a coat kind of thing. So it's true that up to this point, I'm not surprised that they haven't been found, but I will be surprised if it keeps going on longer that they don't give themselves away. I, I don't see this going into months. I mean, we're not, we're not dealing with the fantastical nature of something like the, the Mad Trapper of Rat River from years gone by. You know, this is a guy who, who puts snowshoes on backwards to make false tracks and stuff like that. If these kids are playing that kind of game, they're going to be caught very soon because they're, again, they're 19 and 18. They just don't have that much experience. So the, the long-term thing Unless they've jumped in somebody's car and escaped south and out across the border, that kind of thing, I I don't see the long-term game happening in the woods, not when you're on the run.
0: Right. Let's talk about what it takes to track someone through the woods. What clues are authorities looking for as they hunt these two young men?
1: Yeah, it's, and they're really great at it. I got to say my, you know, thumbs up uh, and and respect to uh, OPP officers, RCMP officers, the military and their search and rescue abilities. They're really quite skilled. It is amazing. They can look at something like uh, your footprint in some wet grass from an airplane and know that it's not a moose. That kind of skill level is, is what is on the side of the searchers. It doesn't take much for you to leave your marks in the woods. Uh, a skilled tracker will spot branches that are broken. Well, there's branches broken in the woods all the time, but not... By a human. Mostly that's by moose or bear or another tree falling or what have you. Humans make specific, we leave specific calling cards as we go through with our footprints, with rich clothing. As I said, I I remember being involved in an, an exercise where the OPP were trying to find me and they found... A little piece of linen that had that ripped off of my shirt. We're talking about in the middle of the forest, and I'm, I'm in a much thicker forest than where these boys are. So, yes, there are a lot of little nuances to search and rescue. On the other hand, depending on the person who's not wanting to be found, depending on what their skill is, you learn how to cover up your tracks, like the fantastical nature of the Trapper of Mad River who wore snowshoes backwards.
0: How did it feel when you were doing that exercise, when it was you who was on the run from the authorities? Of course, keeping in mind that what you did was for experience or it was for fun, but when you're in that moment, when you're on the run, I can imagine it must be easy to fall into character and embody the mentality of a person who's trying to get away. How did it feel knowing that you were being tracked?
1: In a word, creepy. It's a strange feeling. A very—it's aw- not something anybody ever feels. We don't have that unless you're in that particular situation, which is very uh, unique and isolated and creepy. It was weird. I did it once. I've done it on my own, and I've done it with somebody. I remember the first time I was with somebody. It was a situation. There was two of us, and it was a manhunt. It was a- it was an exercise, but it was a manhunt. And we kind of giggled at first and looked at each other like. My God, this must be what it feels like when when you're actually being chased. And then it quickly went from that, even though it was a practice exercise, into uh, a level of fear and adrenaline. You could hear dogs barking way off in the distance, and you knew those were sniffer dogs. You ducked under the planes, went overhead. It was like a movie. So how did it feel? In a word, surreal.
0: In those final moments the dogs are barking, the planes are overhead, you know that your time is up. What is going through your head?
1: Wow. Uh, a little bit of panic for a while because, I, again, I was certainly involved in an exercise. I wasn't really on a manhunt, but it didn't change the adrenaline. See, the adrenaline factor is a big thing here. And these boys can only go on adrenaline for so long. It it gets you going. It gets you out of crazy circumstances, but it also burns you out really quickly and. We had an adrenaline rush that intensified as they got closer. It was a very strange situation. I don't know that you can equal that feeling anywhere else or any other time in life than if somebody is chasing you, hunting you down, so to speak.
0: Really, really fascinating stuff. Les, thank you so much for applying your vast knowledge of wilderness survival to this story to help us understand better what these two individuals may be experiencing.
1: And I think the last word on this, and when it comes to law enforcement officers, officers for me is that we 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 think we seem to want to have an image in our head that they're out there wingtip to wingtip scouring every inch. It's not like that. There's 40, 50 of them, and the the area is vast. So even with the best technology, they're they're up against a, a great challenge. It's it's a needle in a haystack, and the needle is moving and doesn't want to be found.
0: Coming up later in this episode. You heard Les Stroud mention the story of the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Well, we're going to go back in Canadian history to learn about another manhunt that captivated our nation almost 90 years ago.
1: The Mad Trapper of Rat River from years gone by, you know, this is a guy who who put snowshoes on backwards to make false tracks and stuff like that.
0: You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. He survived in the Canadian wilderness for over six weeks, leading authorities on a nearly 250-kilometer manhunt through the Yukon and Northwest Territories. He was the mad trapper of a rat river. If you're a bit of a Canadian history buff, then you may remember his story well. It started back in the summer of 1931. Way up in the northwest corner of the Northwest Territories, a man who called himself Albert Johnson showed up in a small town called Fort McPherson. He was middle-aged in his 30s or 40s, and he was quiet. But when he did speak, people noticed that he had a Scandinavian accent. He lived pretty much in the middle of nowhere, in a remote cabin on the Rat River. He had arrived in the summer. Summer turned to fall, and fall turned to winter. The few neighbors that Albert did have began to file complaints with the RCMP, They thought it was Albert who had been destroying their hunting traps. So on New Year's Eve in 1931, four RCMP officers went up to his remote cabin to confront Albert. But when they did, they were greeted with gunfire. He shot one constable in the chest. Even though the nearest hospital was 80 kilometers away, incredibly, that constable survived. A week later, the Mounties doubled their manpower and once again showed up at Albert's cabin. As the eight officers approached his cabin, again Albert fired his gun at them. They retreated to a safe distance and set up a camp nearby. For a week, they waited, only to find Albert had snuck out the back. He was now officially on the run. As you can imagine, winter in the Northwest Territories can be bitterly cold. Temperatures can drop to minus 40. There can be little to no daylight. To survive in these conditions would be challenging, to say the least. To do it for more than a month and a half would be incredible. Yet, Albert Johnson, who would become known as the Mad Trapper of Rat River, did just that. Officers chased him from the Northwest Territories to the Yukon. One of the men on Albert's tail was Wilfred May. They called him Wap May. He was an ace pilot in World War I, and was even involved in the dogfight that saw the infamous Red Baron gunned down. After the war, May returned home and used his piloting skills to help police hunt for criminals on the run. The RCMP specifically asked for his help in tracking down the mad trapper. With May in the skies and officers using snowshoes on the ground, they managed to catch up with Albert at the end of January, after a full month on the run. There was yet another shootout. This time, Constable Edgar Miller was shot and killed. Albert escaped again. By mid-February, the weather remained frigid, but the days were growing longer. RCMP had tracked Johnson into the Yukon. On February 17th, they spotted Albert again, exchanging gunfire. This would be the mad trapper's last stand. When the smoke cleared, Albert Johnson, the mad trapper of Rat River, was dead the manhunt had captivated our nation. Newspaper headlines in 1932 read, Mad Miner of the Arctic Dies in Hail of Bullets, and Rat Rivers Mad Trapper Slain by Mounted Police, Dramatic Pursuit Ended. But neither the newspapers nor the police were ever able to confirm why Albert shot at police to begin with. What was his motivation? Even more peculiar was that police weren't actually convinced that his name really was Albert Johnson. In fact, to this day, his real identity remains a Canadian mystery, as does the entire story of the Mad Trapper of Rat River. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and myself, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show as well as a podcast. You can download, subscribe, or listen online at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review as well online. And you can always send us an email to This Is Why at CuriousCast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.